Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch uh, this week with me, Zinati Guma. Our analysts this afternoon, uh, Gary Boyson from Ransus and uh, Byron Lotta from Vestact. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us. Now, something that really has not really rocked the market, but like a, a big news event was the resignation of Liz Truss uh, yesterday afternoon. And actually, I've been um, reading a lot of articles and looking at a lot of interviews, and I actually saw quite an interesting interview on CNBC International with the Luxembourg uh, Prime Minister. And he was actually saying that, you know what, uh, the biggest error that was made that, that actually um, resulted in this political instability was Brexit. Gary, starting with you, do you think that was the route? Well, it's very difficult to pinpoint a root of when, when the UK started to become unstable. Uh, you could almost argue that it went all the way back to their, their welfare system. You could argue it went further back than that. So, I mean, there's no question I think Brexit was a terrible idea. Um, well, I, I don't know if it was a terrible idea. I mean, the way that we think about it is, you know, if you were in, inside the EU, that's like a very nice position. But, you know, maybe once you're out, um, it could work for you. But it's that painful transition that we've been seeing kind of un unfold over the last, say, five years that, uh, that, that has caused, you know, massive damage to the, the UK economy. So, you know, pro probably a bad decision, maybe the, 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 the beginning of the instability, but I'd say the instability in the UK started uh, long before that. Yeah. Uh, just uh, with some very interesting economic policies uh, over the years. Yeah, and it's sure to be persistent, at least uh, in the short to medium term. Byron, just coming to you, um, you know, there's a cost of living crisis and then a cost of credibility crisis all happening at the same time. Can the Conservative Party actually dig itself out of this hole? Because now there are even talks of that they, they maybe might need a general election. If there isn't a snap election, uh, the next election is due in 2025. So the Conservatives do have uh, a bit of time uh, to fix things, and if they believe that they're going to lose to Labour, then uh, I don't see them calling a snap election. Um, but let's be honest, where is politics stable at the moment? Uh, the world's a little bit crazy. Um, maybe it's because of social media and everyone has an opinion and everyone knows exactly what's going on all the time, or you know, lots of fake news going around and they think they know what's going on. Um, so it's pretty, pretty tough to, to manage uh, countries and politicians are certainly in the limelight. Um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this flows through. It's always uh, fun to watch <laughs> other countries in turmoil from South Africa because we're used to it. And that's the thing, Byron, because um, a lot of people are like concerned about the split within the Conservative Party. And then I'm thinking, well, it's kind of giving ANC. <laughs> um, Gary, on your part, I just want to talk about how the markets have reacted this week uh, to everything that's happening. So we started off with a big rally on Monday um, that went through to Tuesday and then Wednesday. Uh, there was some pressure that we saw on the market. So now looking like the markets are a little bit confused trying to find a direction just based on how the markets are behaving right now. Would you say that investors are maybe using um, short-term strategies? 
Well, I don't, I don't know if mandates have changed just because there's a bit of volatility in, 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 the, in the market. So I think everyone is trading to their mandate, but, but high volatility usually just uh, signals that there's uncertainty. And uh, you know, whether, whether you're a, a long-term you know, holder of equity or a long-term uh, portfolio, uh, you know, many, I think, are using this time to, to maybe top up on stocks, even though it's not necessarily a short-term strategy. And traders will be traders. They're going to trade the market whenever there's volatility. Uh, I don't know whether this is institutional or retail, but it does feel like uh, retail traders have, have kind of exited the market a little bit uh, in the last couple of months. Uh, volumes are a little bit lower there because uh, I think it's just guys are beaten up. They're, they're, they're getting a little bit tired of it. Um, you know, volatility also sometimes signals a turn in the market. So that would be nice that if, uh, if this kind of you know, up, down, up, down that we're seeing uh, is, is the market starting to signal that we're getting towards the, the bottom, that would be great. Maybe we will still be in for a, uh, a festive season rally. Yeah, and we've seen uh, the stocks um, uh, being beaten down also because of the rise in uh, the Treasury yields in the U.S. I mean, what's bugging uh, those yields in the U.S., Byron? Inflation. Um, you know, as soon as we start seeing U.S. CPI coming down, uh, then the Fed can take their foot off the, the interest rate pedal. Um, but they've made it quite clear that they're... Uh, so job right now is to fight inflation and they have one tool and that's to increase interest rates and the markets in fact all asset classes do not like increasing interest rates um, so that's had a huge impact on uh, the volatility this year you know from gary's mouth to santa claus's ears let's hope we get a nice santa claus rally um, it does what's nice to see is uh, u.s earnings season coming through and a lot of companies still looking in good shape. Although having said that, at the moment, the market's very confused. You know, uh, good news is taken as bad news um, because, you know, we actually want to see things starting to slow down, um, which hopefully will uh, uh, have a positive impact on inflation. Um, at this, at, at, on one side of things, you know, we've got the consumer under quite a lot of pressure, but we also got people coming out on uh, COVID lockdowns and wanting to be out there and spending. So there's a lot of confusion out there, um, but that's often where the opportunities lie. Mm, all right. Um, talking about opportunity, there's a very interesting question here. Can you please advise on which are the best stocks to invest in as a student? Um, Gary, do you sort of go for a, a solid player, consistent player, consistently dividend paying, or and that's maybe not as affordable or do you maybe go for like a small cap that looks promise, promising, like for example, a capital appreciation? Well, it's a, it's a good question. So, yeah, first first thing, you know, it doesn't give us a lot of background on who, who the investor is other than that they have a long time horizon. That's that's the key thing. When, okay. you're, when you're, I'm assuming it's a young student and not an old student, yeah. <laughs> um, which could be the case as well. But I mean, if you have a long time horizon, uh, and you're just starting out on the investment journey, you know, sometimes stocks aren't actually the best place to to, to begin. Yes, you, you naturally have a much higher risk tolerance because you've got a, a longer time horizon. So you can probably get a little bit more speculative than, than someone that's approaching retirement. Uh, but I would say that the best thing to do if you're a student and you don't already have it is instead of going for a stock, go for an ETF. You get nice uh, diversification. And the main the main thing that you can do is you can put it inside a tax-free savings account. So uh, obviously, depending on the value of, uh, of the portfolio that you're talking about, uh, but a tax-free savings account caps out every year at a 36,000 rand contribution. And uh, with the time horizon that you're talking about, the, the significant tax saving that you're going to make uh, on, on the capital gain that you'll eventually realize is, is massive. It's, it's And it's... Uh, 
it really is a, a kind of a building block uh, of, of any of any young person's portfolio. So if they don't have a tax-free savings account yet, I would say probably uh, ETF base. Um, you know, we do a, like a, fi a five ETF diversified uh, TFSA for clients. But uh, yeah, I don't know with the rand at eighteen thirty. I don't know if I would just just be going and sticking it straight into the S and P five hundred at this stage. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit of diversification, picking up something, maybe a little bit of property exposure as well might be interesting, given that interest rates are so high and you have a long term time horizon to to allow that trade to play out. Ah. All right. So quite interesting. Uh, Gary suggesting maybe not trying to stock pick at the moment, going for an ETF. Byron, I mean, are equities where you would want to be as a student or maybe you'd maybe think of like a retail bond or something? Gary said, if you're a student, you're most likely to be young. You've got a long time horizon. Over the last hundred years, equities has proven to be the best um, asset class if you've got time and patience. Um, and, you know, if you're young, you should have that. Maybe not patience as a youngster. So that's why I agree with uh, Gary on the ETS, because you might buy a quality company, um, but you can't handle the gyrations of the market and sell out at the wrong times because, you know, you're young and impatient and impulsive. Um, so I would say an offshore-based ETF like the S&P 500 would be good. I get that the RAND's at 1830, but if you're young and carry on adding to it, you're averaging in. So you're going to get a, an average um, uh, RAND dollar exchange rates and an average entry into the stock market. Yeah. Or maybe also another solution would be uh, getting a time machine and going back to the time when Warren Buffett was starting out. I was actually watching a video with someone saying that um, uh, this guy, this investor, put $10,000 into Berkshire Hathaway when it started, and now it's worth $780 million. Insane. All right, let's move on to more questions. Uh, does Richemont at the current low price still offer good value in a portfolio? Is it a buyer currently to hold for three to five years? Gary? Three to five years, yes, I would say it is. Again, just with a caveat that you might not be timing it perfectly just with the, the, the currency where it is. Richmond is obviously a very, very solid rand hedge. Uh, so if, if we do see a big rand strengthening, you might see a little bit of more of a shine being taken off uh, the Richmond stock price. Uh, that said, Richmond, absolutely solid company. Um, you know, current Richmond shareholders actually have a little option sitting in their portfolio as well, which they're going to have to make a decision on for November 2023. Uh, but yeah, for a new shareholder buying into the company at this stage, I have, I have no problem with it other than maybe the, the, the risk of the currency. Uh, still, you know, if you look at the last five years, even with the little sell-off that we've had in Richmond, it's, it's outperformed the, the all share index by a significant margin. Over five years, all share index is only up around 13%. Of course, we are in the middle of a crash. Richmond's still up 52%. So very, very good quality company. Uh, luxury goods uh, also do, do have very defensive uh, characteristics, yeah. uh, especially if we are going into a recession in the next year. Uh, you know, unfortunately, 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 I don't know which way you want to call it, but uh, the fact is uh, people that buy Richmond products uh, don't feel recession is the same, same way as the rest of us. Yeah, I hear you there. Uh, Byron, I remember earlier on this year, um, there was um, that day when the share tanked um, because of worries about demand in China. Are those worries still there, considering also that they did have good sales in the US and Europe and in some Asian countries? I think so. You know, China's a massive market, um, especially in the luxury goods space. Um, it's, a, it's a very big aspirational theme. Um, although a, a lot of the sales actually come from Chinese travelers that would go to Europe or the US and go and, and buy Richmond goods. Unfortunately, with COVID, um, there aren't as many Chinese travelers around. So that certainly had an impact. 
I mean, that's been going on for nearly two years now. So it's definitely filtered through the numbers. Um, it's it's backed into the share price. The market's well aware of what's going on. So any any uh, sort of um, uh, if lockdowns and so on in China start to ease, that'll be upside for Richmond. So that's factored in. And I, I agree with Gary. I think it's a great business. It has underperformed the likes of Louis Vuitton, LVMH. Um, so there is opportunity to catch up with the rest. Um, but, you know, Johan Rupert and his team are, are notoriously cautious. They've got a big cash balance. Um, and they'll certainly be able to manage these uncertain times very well. All right. Let's go to another question. Um, I had a shareholding in PSG who have now unbundled and a number of their listed shares and now own, I own a very small shareholding in a number of listed shares. What is your view on the individual unbundled shares? Which of these have a long-term upside? So we have the PSG Consult, Kiro, Cop Agri, uh, CANS and Stadio. Uh, which one piqued your interest there, Gary? I can quickly run you through all of them, but unfortunately we have an analyst that covers them. So Kuro is currently our, our favorite uh, education stock, but it's very, very speculative because it is quite expensive. So we've got a target price of about 16 Rand on that one. Uh, Stadio, you know, if you're looking for a single education stock that you're looking to hold very long term, uh, Stadio probably a little bit more attractive, uh, a little bit safer as well. So we also have a buy on Stadio. Um, looking at uh, Carp Agri. Buy on Carp Agri as well. We think that the, the PSG unbundling has created uh, almost uh, a lot of downward pressure on the stock price, and it is a fairly unknown uh, business. A very solid business. Target price on that is 64 Rand, so also significant upside there. You're talking almost 100%. Uh, upside, uh, KST, which has also actually been unbundled as well. Um, that's, uh, I, I, yeah, that one, I. We, we don't like as much. We think it's quite expensive. Domestic asset management, I think, is going to, to struggle a little bit. And I think there's probably better options. So probably be selling out of KST. Uh, that's uh, PSG Consult. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, uh, CAS, uh, CA Sales. Uh, yeah, analysts had a meeting with them on Tuesday. We like the company. Uh, target price there is probably going to be somewhere on 850. So, so I would hold on to all of them, uh, to be honest, other than okay. uh, PSG Consult. All right. Byron, on your side? I think that's that question because I don't, uh, we don't own PSG for clients and uh, uh, I haven't fo followed it very clearly and I'm not using it as a cop-out. But I do agree with Gary that you probably find quite a lot of um, people will be getting these spun off in their portfolios and just selling it because they, they're small and they don't understand and that puts a bit of downward pressure on the, on the stocks and it probably is a bit of an opportunity. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people were complaining about PSG and the prices they were getting and the, and the price they're delisting at. But, you know, you've got to walk with your feet here. And if you're not happy, you've just got to sell the share because there's not much else you can do about it. All right. Quickly, before we go to your stock picks, um, just sticking with you, Byron, something that you do look at is Netflix. Um, quite a, an interesting reaction by the market. And, of course, the results that came out after disappointing, I think, uh, the past year, it finally came out with uh, numbers that the markets um, appreciated. They did say, though, that we shouldn't concentrate on the subscriber editions. What did you think about that? Uh, ironically, Netflix, which was uh, the end in fangs, has now become a value stock. Um, it's, it's, it's a mature business, and it's time to start showing profits. Um, the, the subscriber numbers did beat on the upside, especially the forward projections for the rest of the year, which is very good news. Um, but the market, I think, is getting excited about the new uh, advertising products. 
So basically, uh, they're going to charge a lot less, but you're going to have to deal with about five minutes of, of ads per an hour and 20 minutes. Um, and, and that's showing that Netflix does have other revenue opportunities. It's, it's, it's yeah. not just a, a one-trick pony. Um, but, you, you know, there are issues. And the problem is the, the race for content is huge. And there's a lot of other players there. They're going to end up having to spend probably $30 billion next year on content. Um, so it is a tough competitive business. It seems like they are ahead in terms of subscribers and the amount of hours they watch Netflix. Um, so they still have that first mover advantage. Uh, but you pay for what you get. And it is looking relatively cheap on a fundamental basis. Um, yeah. So there's probably good upside there because it's underappreciated on what you're already getting. All right. Well, guys, we have run out of time. 30 seconds for your stock picks. Gary. Well, I don't know if I can do this one in 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay. Um, so it's basically, it's a triple index auto call. So it links to uh, the Eurostox, the Nikkei, and the NASDAQ, all of which are down between 30 and 40% in, in dollar terms. Um, what happens is uh, you're essentially going to exchange your upside for a coupon. Uh, we've just struck this for clients uh, with Morgan Stanley, but we're going to rerun it. Um, you will get a 16% per year coupon um, as long as one of those three indices are still negative. As soon as if, if, uh, one, like if all three indices go positive, that's when the, the product strikes um, and you'll basically get 16% 16, 16, uh, uh, in dollars per, per year. Uh, the problem is if after five years, uh, one of those indices is negative, um, you will take the downside, but we do protect you up to 35% downside. So if, uh, if let's say, uh, the Nikkei decides not to run, and in five years' time, the Nikkei is down 20%, um, you will get all your money back. But if it's down 36%, you lose 36%, and it would be the same as if you had bought mm. a Nikkei ETF. So all just right. a slightly different prospect to the regular ETF, something that, that exchanges your upside for coupons. All right. And on your side, Byron? And Gary, um, I'm going to go with Alphabet, uh, the parent company that owns the likes of Google, YouTube, Google, Google Cloud. Um, if you strip out the cash, they're trading at about 14 times next year's earnings, which I think is uh, a very good value for a company that has probably the, the, the strongest moat out there in terms of business. You know, they, they own and dominate uh, internet search. Um, I'm very excited about Google Cloud. There's a lot of potential in the cloud business. It's still very uh, underpenetrated in, in a global sense, and they've got the bucks to back it and build the infrastructure. Um, so I think uh, the, the stock is offering good value for a very quality company. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time and analysis today, guys. Uh, thanks to my guests, Gary Boyson from Rancis and Byron Lotta from Vestact.